Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and I'm going to take you on a journey through Scotland's history piece by piece. The first part that we're going to be doing today is the Scottish Wars of Independence. This is a subject that when I first became a tour guide I really sort of immersed myself in. So that's where I would like to start. I think it's a good place to start because the story could be a little bit familiar to those of you listening, uh, especially if we start having any international listeners. I'm sure some of you may be familiar with the movie Braveheart and uh, the Scottish Wars of Independence uh, is where that began. That was that particular time. So... I'm going to start with Alexander II. Um, really, the Wars of Independence uh, began a little bit later with Alexander III. Uh, but just to give you a little bit of background as to uh, Alexander II, I think he was quite an interesting man as well. So Alexander II was one of the last of the Canmore descendants. Canmore meaning big head. He was a descendant of Malcolm III, uh, the man that killed Macbeth and Macbeth's son Lulach to ascend to the throne in 1058. He was 16 years old when he was crowned at Schoon Palace on the 5th of December in 1214. His father was William I or William the Lion who had died the day before. So he died on the, the 4th of January. There was no time whatsoever for mourning and... Uh, Alexander II was crowned on Moot Hill, or the Hill of Belief as it's known, uh, near Schoon Palace. He was crowned upon the Stone of Destiny, or the Stone of Schoon, which was the coronation throne, if you will, of Scotland. The throne being just a big block of stone. I would like to do an entire episode uh, just on the Stone of Destiny at some point in the future because it's history from when it was brought here, uh, we reckon from Ireland, to where it uh, obviously is today. But Alexander had made it his sole aim to control all of Scotland and rid his new kingdom of English overlordship once and for all. England and uh, the King uh, John I Scotland wasn't its own nation at that particular point. It was really just considered to be part of northern England. 
Alexander II wanted Scotland to be that independent nation, but he had to have essentially permission from the Pope to do so. Uh, he regularly asked for holy oils uh, that were to be placed on the king's crown that would uh, essentially mean that he was recognised by the Pope as the king of this country. So while England has this kind of overlordship, if you will, of Scotland, the Western Isles and the Northern Isles were mainly controlled by those with Viking descent. So the Norwegians, essentially, that's the, that's the easiest way to explain what's going on there. So as I mentioned, John I uh, was king of England at the time, and Alexander, along with many of the English barons, were rather annoyed over John's demands that they should finance John's wars over in France. The barons and Alexander presented a new charter to John, known now as what we know now as the Magna Carta, where Alexander was promised the disputed northern territories of England. These territories are Northumberland, Cumberland and Westmoreland. These today are under English rule, but throughout history uh, these lands were claimed by the Scots. But King John largely ignored the, the terms uh, or dismissed the terms of the Magna Carta almost as soon as it was signed and very soon England descended into civil war, which led Alexander the Second of Scots in October 1215 to invade England. He laid siege to Norham Castle uh, just over the border, uh, which is now just over the border, uh, the other side of the, the River Tweed. Uh, over in England, uh, he also ordered Newcastle to be destroyed, as well as Carlisle. In 1237, Alexander signed the Treaty of York. Now, this was the first time that a proper border between the two countries, uh, England and Scotland, uh, was now formed. This is largely unchanged to this day. Basically, the River Tweed is the borderline. Anything north of the River Tweed is Scotland. Anything below the River Tweed is England. So it became known as the Land of the Scots. And again, in future podcasts, we will get on to the origins of the Scots. So now, that point, Scotland was considered its own independent nation because there was now a border between England and Scotland. Alexander then turned his attentions to the Viking Norwegian-held Western Isles that were controlled by the Norwegians. The, the King of Norway at the time was Hakon IV. And Alexander was in Oban in July of 1249, ready to battle, but he died on the 8th of July, 1249, on the Isle of Carrera, which can be seen on a nice clear day from Oban. He died there as Hakon was making his way from Norway and no battle ensued. We then turn our attention to Alexander II's son, who became the new king. This was Alexander III. Uh, they were highly original with their names at times, so Alexander, Alexander, Alexander. 
Uh, we're also about to meet quite a few Margarets as well along the way, so I hope that you manage to keep up and uh, my explanation is, 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 is decent. So Alexander III was seven years old when he was crowned, uh, again at the same place as his father at Schoon Palace uh, on top of the Stone of Destiny. He was married three years later at age 10 to Margaret, who was the daughter of England's King Henry III, who herself, Margaret, uh, was 11 years of age. Many thought that this would actually form a union between the two countries, um, but realistically, it, it did not. So he grows up a little bit, aged 18, he sets out to achieve what his father had failed to achieve, and that was to regain these Western Islands from King Hakon IV. First of all, he sent envoys across to Norway, which failed. Alexander then attacks the Isle of Skye, and Hakon comes a-running. With his own invasion fleet, uh, just off to the west coast of Scotland, uh, near a place called Largs. Well, the battle itself took place in early October, but uh, in late September 1263, the invasion fleet heading down from Norway was, was largely damaged. And uh, by the time that they'd actually landed on land, the, the Norwegian army had no fight left in them. So when the fight, or the Battle of Largs, if you will, on the 2nd of October did eventually occur, it was really just a series of small skirmishes, nothing like your full-scale battles of Stalingbridge, Bannockburn, etc. Hakon did retreat back towards Norway, but he fell ill on the way. They landed his boat on the island, the mainland of Orkney in Kirkwall, and Hakon died in the Bishop's Palace there, um, the ruins of which still there today um, and he died towards the end of the month. With Hakon now dead, negotiations began with Alexander and Norway for the sale of the Isles and uh, the sale of these western islands was agreed but as long as Scotland keep their hands essentially off of the islands of Orkney and even further north Shetland. So this is really where Henry III dies and Alexander's brother-in-law, Margaret's brother, uh, you know, Alexander's wife's brother, uh, Edward became King of England. We now find that 1266, Edward was actually on his way back from the Crusade and the defence at Acre when he became Edward I. Now he's going to kind of dip in and out of the story uh, from basically here on in. Uh, but we now have Edward I, to some of you, you'll know him as the Longshanks. His other title, uh, maybe perhaps not a quite nice one, was the Hammer of the Scots, and you'll find out why that is over the course of the next few podcasts. Now as Alexander got older and his reign got longer, he started to become quite an unlucky man. First of all, in 1275, his wife Margaret died. But they had three children together, two sons, David and, of course, they're going to have a son called Alexander. And they had a daughter, who, of course, was named Margaret. The daughter, Margaret, was married to King Eric II of Norway, the new king in Norway, to kind of repair the, the damage that the, the Battle of Largs had caused and things like that. 
But shortly before the marriage, his son David fell ill and died. On the 9th of April in 1283, his uh, daughter Margaret had also died during childbirth. The infant, however, did survive and the infant was a very sick and poorly young girl who they named after her mother. So now we meet the third Margaret. To end any confusion, this Margaret is known as the Maid of Norway. And once again, just little over eight months following the death of his daughter, the heir to the throne, Prince Alexander of Scots, died shortly after getting married himself. And they never had any time to bear any children. So Alexander's left with a little bit of a problem. The heir to the Scottish throne was now Margaret, the maid of Norway, the young girl, the young princess of Norway. But this isn't what the people of Scotland wanted. They don't want a queen. They want a king. They want a strong king, not as they saw it back then, as a weak female figure at the head of the country. So Alexander, in a way, was kind of forced to remarry. And he did. He married a young French princess by the name of Yolanda de Drew. His new bride was about 23 years old. Alexander was in his late 40s by this point. And as you can imagine, he was quite up for making babies with uh, someone almost uh, half or, or, or over, pardon me, half his age. But then we have the events that happened on the 18th of March, 1286. These were the events that really were the catalyst to the beginning of the Wars of Independence. Alexander was holding a council in Edinburgh Castle on this night, on the 18th of March, 1286. And again, he was, you know, he was very up for making his babies with his new young bride. So after a few drinks and a big meal, he decides to leave Edinburgh Castle, which was his kind of main royal residence at the time. He decides to leave there and head to his wife's residence in a place called Fife, the Kingdom of Fife. To do so, he has to cross quite a dangerous and treacherous stretch of water known as the Firth of Forth. So Alexander leaves Edinburgh Castle on that night. It's blowing a hooly outside, as we would say in Scotland. And the wind was fierce. It was a, a major, major storm going on that night. He arrives at Queen's Ferry, South Queen's Ferry, and the ferryman agrees to take him across the water. Now this was with a couple of Alexander's aides, so they somehow safely made it across the water. It is believed that Alexander did proclaim that God would help them safely across. And they did make it across. But very eager to go and see his young wife, Alexander jumps on his horse and rides away. His two aides were left behind. Once Alexander was out of their sight, Alexander was never seen again. He was found the following morning, so on the morning of the 18th of March 1286, at the bottom of what we now refer to as the King's Crag. He was found at the bottom there with a broken neck. 
Had he fallen? Was he pushed? There's loads of theories uh, as to what exactly happened to Alexander on that night. But at the end of the day, we just do not know. So Scotland's king, Alexander III, was now dead. The fate of Scotland's hands now rested in the young three-year-old Margaret the Maid of Norway. Scotland was about to get what they didn't want, and that was a queen. So after the death of Alexander III, a parliament of nobles and churchmen was called, and allegiance was sworn by them to Margaret, and they vowed to keep Scotland safe until she could arrive from Norway to take the throne for herself. She was again only three years old at this time. But interestingly, Edward I of England was invited to assist in the safekeeping of Scotland, but under the proviso that Margaret, the maid of Norway, would marry Prince Edward of England. Therefore, their children would be the first shared monarchs of both Scotland and of England. But if the marriage did take place, Prince Edward would, by law, become the true king in Scotland, because in those times, in medieval times, women, much like land, were property of the men. So things are rather peaceful for a few years, about three years or so. Six years old, Margaret leaves Oslo in Norway in October 1290 to head to Edinburgh. She was supposed to land at the docks in Leith. But on the way, she fell very ill, and like her grandfather, Hakon IV, was taken to the mainland of Orkney, where she too died in the Bishop's Palace in Kirkwall. This was due to severe seasickness. So now the Canmore line that could be traced all the way back to Kenneth MacAlpine, the first ever King of Scots, was finished. A new king must be chosen. And it's at that point that we're going to leave it for episode number one. Uh, episode number two will focus on what happens after this. If you've enjoyed this episode, please uh, share it, like it and subscribe and all that sort of thing. Uh, we're on Facebook, look for The Scottish History Podcast. On Twitter, at Scott History Pod, all one word. And uh, at the moment on Gmail, uh, if you want to drop me a line on there, it's Scott History Pod, all one word, at gmail.com. Many thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 